Okay, if you'll stand back up. No, I'm joking. You don't have to do that. Heaven forbid you stand up one more time, right? Okay, in the back of the pew in front of you is a card called a Connect card. Um, this is what I want you to do, and I need your help, okay? We're, I'm going to, in some shape, way, or form, engage you or have you guys help me plan the Christmas series um, the uh, talks, okay? Now, what I need from you is I need you to take one of these cards or something, a piece of paper or something. You can think about it um, throughout the service. Don't let it distract you. But at some point, I need you to write down on some piece of paper some something that I can read Put it in the offering when it comes through a little bit later. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to answer this question, okay? God overwhelms me by dot, dot, dot. Does that make sense? That's the question. God overwhelms me by ellipses, dot, dot, dot. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Why are you guys looking confused? That's not confusing, is it? We got it? You're thinking already. That's awesome. That's what I want you to do for me, okay? You've got to help me plan the series. Now, okay, I'm going to let the cow out of the bag. I don't know if I'm going to do it this way or not. But I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know what? This would be really fun. As I was thinking about the the, the Christmas series, by the way, (coughs) I think you can only imagine, Christmas and Easter can become very difficult to preach. We've heard the story thousands and thousands and thousands of times, right? There's always something new to get from it, though. I get that. But it's hard planning sometimes. So this year I'm thinking, I was thinking along the lines like, you know how God gives gifts and that stuff. You know, we get gifts at Christmas, obviously. Yes, yes. Um, I was thinking about, you know, how God gives us things, how God overwhelms us by who he is, right? And... I thought about, you know, that's kind of God. He's constantly giving us gifts, in a sense. So what I thought would be really cool, okay, and this is where I'm thinking about going, okay? Now wait for it. I think it would be pretty cool is if we, you guys generate some of the, you know, I get some of these cards back that have some stuff on here. And then I have someone like three or four people that kind of peruse these cards and, and comes extracts about four of these that I don't know about and takes one, each one, and wraps them in a gift. And then on that on each Sunday, I take a gift because gifts, we don't know what we're getting, right? You see where I'm going with this? A gift, when someone gives us a gift, typically we don't know what we're getting. I open up the gift that particular Sunday and I have to speak on that topic that's in that box. On that Sunday. But I swear if someone says the lights are too bright, we're done. I'm playing my Jesus card. He's going to come back. He's going to take you out. Okay? No, seriously. I think it'd be fun. Although I've got to figure it out because, you know, there is some of you non-risk takers. That is a big risk, right? For us extroverts, it's a thrill-seeking thing. It's like, yeah, this would be fun. So then I'm thinking, okay, well, at least i got to maybe build in a couple phone a friends or, you know, like a buy or something like that. It's like when I get something kind of crazy. But I'm thinking if we can keep this in that frame of mind, God overwhelms me by this. 
I mean, that really kind of takes us in a, in a direction to where I think, I think this would be really cool and fun to do. And I think it'd be engaging and interact. You know what I mean? To me, it's, it would be exciting to do because I don't, you don't know what we're going to be speaking on. I don't know what we're going to be speaking on. And it's either going, we're either going to bomb this and go down together or it could be really cool. Okay. So that's what I'm thinking. So I need your help. You've got to give me some, give me some, um, topics. Okay. So God overwhelms me by, and then answer that question. All right. I think it'd be, I think it'd be pretty fun and powerful. <clears throat> so this week obviously is Thanksgiving and, and I'm very thankful for you guys. I'm thankful that we can be here and I'm thankful that I get to worship with you guys. I get to spend time with you guys and grow in my walk with you guys. Um, I pray that as we've been going through this series, we're going to come to a completion uh, with this series called the Big Ten Values. And we've been looking at the Ten Commandments as the Bible talks about them, as, as God gave them to Moses. And we've been looking at the ones in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So if you want to turn there with me. We've looked at these each, and each week we've taken one of these, and we've tried to make them relevant to our lives and relevant to, I mean, they're they're very relevant to our lives. I get that. But making them relevant to building our families, having strong families, because we're saying, you know what, I believe in these. And I don't think it takes a whole lot for us to kind of step back and see that we live in a, in, in a time where family values are being attacked on a daily basis. What used to be things that we just thought, well, that's, that's a given. That's a, that's a, that's a family value. Nowadays, they're under attack. Everything's open for discussion. Everything is, Maybe not even discussion anymore. It's like, no, that's not a value anymore. So for me, it's been very, it's been very engaging and exciting to spend time looking at the Ten Commandments in a way that where we're looking at them and saying, let's build our families on these values. The first one we looked at said, you know, God, uh, in verse seven there says, don't have any other gods beside me. Now, and again, to make that relevant, we could, you know, I, I, I like I said, I doubt, and, and it kind of goes with the second one too, but, Either we have, either we're going to follow God or we're not going to follow God. Either God's going to be number one or he's not going to be number one. Either God's going to be at the center of our lives or he's not. And, and a lot of times we, we, it's, it, we try to, I think, we try to compartmentalize our lives to say, well, I've got God here, work here, pleasure here, this here, that family here. It doesn't work that way. But when God's at the center and we don't have any other God before him, when it doesn't come down to, you know, fame or possessions or, or pleasures and all these other things, that, that can be at the center of our lives, but God is at the center of our lives. That's when our families, that's when we and our families become all that they can be. The second was do not make an idol for yourself. Kind of the same thing there. Uh, we looked at do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And when we talked about that, we said, you know what? That might not always be when we just verbally say God's name in a way, but it could be, it could mean too, which I believe it does. It's the way we live our lives if we say that we're Christians. If I say that I'm a follower of God, if I say that I'm a Christian, but yet I live my life as if I'm not, or I live my life that's going to bring God shame, someone looks at my life and they see me doing things, and I'm not talking about just being um, legalistic. I'm talking about where it is a vast contrast. It's, 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 it's apparent that, 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 that God's not number one in my or at the center of my life. You know, but yet I say that he is, I'm not bringing him glory. And God says, don't use my name like that. Don't say that you're one of my children, but not really 
act like it or be a part of, of the family. That's misusing God's name in vain. Be careful to remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. We talked about that. The next was remember uh, to honor your father and mother. We talked about what, you know, that, that honoring, the role of that and how that can get um, out of kelter if we've been raised in certain situations where that was put to test. Do not murder. We talked about that, and we talked about, you know, what does that mean, murdering an animal, murdering another person? Um, could it mean murdering our kids or my our, our spouses with our words and our attitudes? You know, because Jesus in the New Testament kind of took everything to the next level. You heard this, but I say this. You know, and, and it's, um, you know, that's something we looked at. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Um, and last week we looked at don't, you know, not lying. And we talked about not lying could mean, you know, literally not telling the truth. It could mean deceiving, but it could also mean that I'm really not living my life to its truest capacities. Does that make sense? Meaning that God has made me a certain way, but I don't really live in that way. I don't really live in the identity in which God made me. I'm trying to be someone I'm not. And when we try to be someone that we're not, we're living a lie. And we're giving others a, a false replica, replication of ourselves. Here's another thing. I think this is another way that we lie. We come in here as an assembly of people and we say, this is the body that I belong to. God's brought you here and put you here and placed you here. God has also given you gifts. And when we don't use our gifts for the greater good of the body, we're lying. We're saying, well, I don't have any gifts. We're saying, well, I don't have anything to contribute. That's not true. God has gifted you. God has given you things so that all of us can benefit from that too. It's not just about us individually when God blesses us with gifts. It's He gives us these gifts so that others can be blessed by them too. And so when we take things and we live our lives in such a way that is not the way God would have us to live in that respect, it can also be giving off false representation. Today I want to talk to you about the last one here, and that's that's coveting, okay? Deuteronomy 5.21 says this, Do not covet your neighbor's wife or desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male or female slave, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs uh, to your neighbor. <laughs> coveting really is kind of, mat- in a sense we could say it's materialism. I want more. It's that need that says, I want, I need to acquire more. Okay? Now, to, to have that desire to acquire is, I think God planted that within us. To acquire to be better, to acquire to better ourselves, to acquire to grow deeper in Him, to, that, that, that drop, that, that sense of acquiring, there's nothing wrong with that. But when it goes unchecked, it goes into coveting, and materialism is something that we face in our world today like you wouldn't believe. Materialism. We have this, 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 this appetite that we have to acquire, acquire, acquire. You know, some of us fall into this trap. Some of us have wrestled with this and we've come out on the other side and we've, we're, we've kind of put it in check. But some of us may be falling prey to it today with materialism. And what can happen? The effects of materialism, the effects of, of coveting, the effects of this, this acquiring that goes unchecked, the effects of it are, 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 uh, we become tired. We become in debt. We become worried. We become very cantankerous. We're never happy. And the list goes on. 
In fact, if we would turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I want to read to you very quick, or chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 5. Let me read to you the Solomon, who was the wisest person of all times. Listen to what he says. <clears throat> In chapter 5, verse 10, 10 through 12, he says this. The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This, too, is futile. When good things increase, the ones who consume them multiply. What, then, is the profit to the owner? except to gaze at them with his, with his eyes. The sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. Solomon, the wisest of all, went through a time of searching, of searching, of just searching, and he fell into this. And he's on the backside of this saying, man, that, that, I mean, when you look at his life and you read about all the things that he had, it was, it was amazing. I mean, it would blow your mind. You would say, well, that was then. When you do the kind of the math and you kind of break things down into our economy, he would throw parties every night that consisted in our economy of about $20,000. $20,000 a day he would spend just on parties because he was searching. He had to acquire. He was, he couldn't get that that deep satisfaction, that sense of contentment. And then later in his life, he realized through pleasure, power, possessions, all these things, he realized that that is not where, the, the, where he was seeking was the, was the antithesis of where he needed to go. And he turns back to God and he writes these passages and he says, look, you get yourself caught up in this. You're tired. I mean, you're, 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 you're consumed. You're constantly, your wheels are constantly turning. You've got to have more, 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 more. You're tired. You become, you become in debt because, you know, you need this, you need that. You, you, you know, you think this is what you want, so you go out, you get it. You, you, you become more in debt. You become worried. I have these riches, so I've got to make sure they don't go away. You know, we constantly think about them. They're constantly in our mind, all kinds of different things. We become cantankerous because that's the only thing that really drives us, and we're never happy. And he shares that with us to say, it is, it is, it is meaningless. Ecclesiastes, the, the word that comes out through Ecclesiastes is, is meaningless. It's all meaningless. That's what God's telling his people. God's saying, don't covet. Don't look at something and say, that's what you need or that's what you want. I mean, don't look at that stuff. Don't covet other things. Don't get in that trap of wanting to acquire more and more and more, because it's not going to bring you what you think it's going to bring you. Ultimately, what happens is it robs us of true hope. It robs us of true hope. Now, I got a video that I want to show you, and then I want to share with you real quick a passage. But I want you to take a look at this video, and it's based off of a passage um, in, in the Gospel of John where Jesus is driving out the money exchangers in the temple. Remember that story? And, but I want you to check out this video. I think it's really cool how they talk about this and the perspective they have of money on this. So if you would go ahead and run that, Mark, just lean into this and check out this video as it talks about possessions and money.
I was there the day that Jesus walked into the temple. He just stood there at first, almost as in disbelief. And then I saw it. I saw that fire growing in his eyes. I'd come from Galilee to the place where God said he'd meet us. Did it feel like a scam? Yeah. I was never able to afford a lamb for my sacrifice, so I had to settle for one of those overpriced pigeons. As a young wife and mother, there's a word you never expect to be called. Widow. I didn't realize how safe I'd felt with my husband around until he was gone. And then it just felt like being exposed on every side with nothing in between your babies and a world of vipers. But me, just me. So I stood there that day in the temple and I watched as Jesus grabbed a whip and drove those businessmen out of the temple, poured their money on the ground. But more than that, there was something about the expression on his face. I recognized it. He swung that whip like vipers were threatening his kids. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. <laughs> Took me three years to figure out what he meant. <laughs> Slow learner. <laughs> He wasn't talking about the building. That was a place where dishonest men put their grimy fingerprints all over God's glory. They defiled the intimate process of worshiping Him. That day wasn't about destruction. It was about hope. Because now, knowing God is all about Jesus. As I think about that day back in the temple and I remember what Jesus did and how he did it it felt like being rescued life can still be brutal my kids appetites are still growing I still cry a lot made a place for me to be still where rest and trust meet right there at God's feet and the price of that access it's paid because of Jesus he conquered death and that's how I make it through life read that passage, if you would turn there with me to John chapter 5, or I'm sorry, John chapter 2. I want to read this particular passage to you. Uh, a lot of times when we talk about it, we talk about Jesus becoming angry, but yet he was righteous in his anger. But I think there was some, there's something here that I want us to take a look at and not miss this morning as we talk about this concept of coveting and this concept of acquiring acquiring more and more. Listen, listen to this passage. Let's listen, listen to this story. 
It said the Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of the cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out all the money changers. He also poured out the money changers, coins overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it's written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews replied to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said, or his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. When we look at this passage of scripture, I think it's very interesting, especially from this, when I, when I, when I uh, saw this video. What's taking place is, if you, if you studied this passage, this is where people went for their sacrifice. This is where people went for the atonement of their sins. They would come in and they would sacrifice. If people traveled a long ways, they couldn't bring a sacrifice with them. So what they would do, they would sell places. There would be a place where you could buy uh, an animal or such to sacrifice, uh, you know, once you got there. Well, as you can imagine what would take place, businesses became, you know, a way to extort the people. They would take a sacrifice uh, and they would sell it at an exorbitant price because there was a, 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 a demand for it, correct? Jesus became very angry. And it wasn't so much the fact that they were selling something there. I remember growing up in church, you would have people say, well, we can never have a bake sale in the church because that's selling and Jesus hated selling. And I'm thinking, I think there's a little bit of a difference of what was going on here, you know? Jesus became indignant because they were extorting his people. These people needed a sacrifice and these men and, and, and businesses would come and they would extort the people at the time that didn't have the proper means to be able to sacrifice. And so what they were literally doing, they were standing between him and them. They were literally standing between kind of the hope that they would find in him. And Jesus was indignant over that. Jesus was Wanting them to understand that, and one day, you know, as we, as we, as we get to stand on this side of the cross, we get to look back and say, wow, that is so amazing how all of that plays out and what that represented and, and the symbolism behind that for us here today. That, I believe, correlates with what we're talking about today in the sense of, guys, when we get into this mode of acquiring, uh, things that we think that we need, what happens is we replace that with the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what Solomon was doing. Solomon was looking and looking and looking, searching and searching and searching, and he didn't find it until the end, where he said, it's all about fearing God. It's all about God. Some of us in here this morning have been on this journey where you've discovered that, where you realize that, the, that there's this drive inside of you that pleasure is not going to fill because you've tried it. In your life, you've taken your life down a path that has been very destructive. And God's saving grace has reached down into your life. His meta-narrative, His story came crashing down in your life. 
and you found Jesus and you found hope. You found that it's not about acquiring things. It's not about pleasure. It's not about possessions. But it's about the saving grace in the relationship and personhood of Jesus Christ. The hope that is found in Him. If we're not careful, these things can take us completely off point and we think hope is over here in the things that we can acquire. And there's some things that we actually do that actually sabotages, I know I just said actually twice, right? There's things that we do that literally sabotages what we truly want and what we're truly seeking. For instance, Paul learned something. When you read the Apostle Paul, he learned in Philippians chapter 4 the secret of being content. He talks about this uh, in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, he talks about how he has found the secret of being content. Whether hungry, whether poor, whatever situation he faced, he said, I've found the secret of being content. Some of us in here this morning, just uh, we, 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 we sabotage ourselves because there's a couple things that we do. And in Philippians, or I should say, back in Ecclesiastes, we kind of we kind of see these things in the passage that I read to you. But very quickly, let me, let me just run through a couple of these points. The first thing that we do is that we compare, and when we start comparing, we realize that comparing is evil. Comparing is the, the quickest one of the quickest ways that we can sabotage learning to be content. Comparing is when we look at someone else. You know how it is. We look at someone else and we say, "Wow." You know, they've got something that I don't have. And it's like, I've got, I, I want to stay at their status. Maybe our friends, the circle we were in, we, we may struggle with that at times. Or, you know, that may, that may influence that at times. But comparing ourselves is one of the worst things that we can ever do, regardless of what it's about, what it's about whether it's financially, material, materialistic things, or even spiritual things. Comparing can literally just kill your, who you are on the inside. Paul talks about this too in 2 Corinthians. He says, people that compare lack understanding. You're clueless. You're never going to find the secret to being content when you're comparing yourself to another person, to someone else. Comparing can kill us. Literally sabotage the finding the true hope in Jesus Christ. The other thing is this. Learning not to compare, and this is how we get over this of, of get over this concept of, of of coveting and learning to be content. The next one is this: we appreciate what we have. If you can learn to not compare and say, you know what, comparing is that is is a demon, and I'm not going to allow myself to get on that path. It's nothing. Comparing is nothing but a, a complete lack of understanding. The other thing is this. Understanding that, appreciate what you do have. Um, God has blessed each and every one of us in here with things. Sometimes it's hard to see that. And I get it. I'm human too. But when we lose sight of what God has blessed us with, that's when we're going to start sabotaging ourselves again 
and we're going to get caught up in this whole concept of materialism materialism, and becoming covet, coveters. Okay? God has blessed us with things. God has blessed you with many things. The problem is we get focused on the external versus the internal, which we're going to look at that here in a few moments. But but we lose sight of the real meaning of things. Paul knew it. Paul got it. Paul got that it was about his relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul got it. And to say that he found the secret, regardless of what took place in his life, he knew that it, that that he had that there there wasn't any comparing with others, which he would say it was a complete lack of understanding, and that he learned how to appreciate what he did have. As I was saying, some of not some, all of us sitting in here this morning have been richly blessed by God. Now the problem is Satan comes along and he, he starts attacking you mentally. He starts attacking your thought process, and he starts saying, you know, like who are you? And you start entertaining these little these little entry points of Satan. And the next thing you know, you're off on this bunny trail looking at your life and thinking, you know, comparing and thinking about your life. And, and, and at times it's like, there's no way I've been blessed with anything. I, I am worthless. I've This is what I've been dealt and all these other things. But that's simply not true. God has blessed each and every one of us sitting in here this morning abundantly. It may not be in possessions, but that's not what we're talking about here. It's talking about who you are and how you've been richly created and, and uniquely created and richly blessed in Him. The second, the next thing that we can do to, to overcome like this, this acquiring of a need of, of becoming a coveter is bless others with your resources. Solomon wrote, if you picked up on that in Ecclesiastes, Solomon talked about this and he said, the one that becomes rich and becomes consumed about watching their riches is the one that starts kind of losing it all. They're the ones that's going to become tired. They're the ones that's going to become, that's going to become cantankerous. They're the ones that's going to become unhappy because it's all about them. They, they, they've acquired it and, and it's like, I've got to monitor this. I've got, now that doesn't mean you, I'm not saying you don't, you're not good stewards of your resources. But there's a difference. When someone understands that all they have has been given to them by God. There's a difference when someone's heart is filled with God where they take their resources and they realize these are not really mine. This, these resources that I have is not really mine. It's all God's. I wouldn't have been able to attain what I've got if it wasn't for God. If God hadn't blessed me this way or that way, I, w- I wouldn't be able to have even what I have. And so... They, people look at it, you look at your resources and you say, these are of God. We've read stories and stories of people, uh, rich people in the past and even, you know, even like modern people, kind of the past would be Merillat's, um, Orville and Ruth Merillat, uh, that would be local to our community here to hit us personally. People that the more God gave, the more they gave away. And I, I can't recall who it was right off the top of my head, but there's a guy that tried to outgive God, and I can't remember his name. Someone remembers. But he swore that he would just, you know, the more he gave, he, you know, he started off and he said, I'm going to continue to give and to give above and beyond. And he tried to literally outgive God, which 
never happened, obviously, because God just kept blessing him and blessing him and blessing him. Perhaps it was because he realized that his resources wasn't really his resources and that he used his resources to bless other people. God used this man in a very powerful way to touch the lives of individuals. When we start hoarding our resources, that's when we're in trouble. When we say that I don't have money to tithe, I don't have money to step out and trust God that way. I don't have the resources to do this. I don't have the resources to do that. You're you're starting down a path where you need to be very careful because you can sabotage literally what you're trying to accomplish. And when you define your resources as your resources and you are the one that controls that, you're on a slope that you need to be very careful, very careful. We're called to bless others with our resources as well. And then the last thing is this. This is the huge one. Know the difference between eternal and temporal. The people that are going to watch their resources and control their resources the most are the ones that are that have bought into this is all there is. And they've bought into the temporal. It's all about them. It's you know and it's like I'll I'll determine who I do this with and what I do this with. And, you know, and you've got a clenched fist and it's not so much God kind of laying on your heart and directing you, but it's more you directing. It's more you saying, well, okay, that's, I, I think that, that deems my, that deems my response. So I will put forth here or there. You're buying into the temporal. You're buying into the temporal things of this world. And I don't think we're ever going to understand the secret of contentment the way Paul did if we're constantly buying into the temporal of this world. Paul knew that all this was going to go away. Everything that we experience here in this life right now is temporal. And one day we're going to spend, we're going to have, we have an eternal destination. Hopefully that's in heaven with Christ. But we're going to have an eternal destination. Where do you put most of your resources in the temporal or the eternal destination? If you want to make sure that you're building your family on a value that says, I'm not going to covet and I'm going to teach my children how to be good stewards of God's money, but also I'm going to teach my children how to be, how to learn how to be content. The secret to contentment. You need to understand that first. And that's a big one. And I hope that if you don't know that one, that perhaps you would open your heart with God this morning and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and touch you. And maybe that's the area where God is going to grow you here, grow you here in the next uh, few, in the next stage of your, of your spiritual growth walk. I don't know where you're at. And as I've always said, that's not my job, nor do I ever want that job. But I do know that when we talk about these things, these are the things that, that if we build our lives upon, if we build our families upon, we're going to have families that are going to enjoy the eternal destination of Jesus Christ. And even in the temporal, if we build our lives upon these values, we are going to find life and we're going to find it to the fullest. That's the life that Jesus promised. It's not found in acquiring a constant acquiring of other things, but it's found in the hope of Jesus. And again, back to that passage in John, I believe that's why Jesus was so indignant on the Temple Mount that day 
was because money and possessions and greed and materialism was blocking people from the true hope and deceiving people from the true hope that he offered. You and I have this awesome opportunity post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, where we can look back and we can read and we can see things a little bit more clearly. I hope and pray this morning your heart and your your spiritual eyes and your spirit, your, the eyes of your heart are open so that you can uh, see these values and see the things that we're talking about here this morning that they might make a huge difference within your life. Won't you stand with me? Let me lead us into a word of prayer. And then we're going to sing a couple more songs and close out our time here together. Father, I uh, thank you so much for this time that we have. We can come in your presence and spend it with you. Each week we talk about these things, these uh, different values and these commandments, God, and, and as humans, um, and as, as you were human, you know the struggle. You know uh, how our humanity puts up a fight our, with us. Our old nature can just stand in the way, and we can become confused. We, we can become deceived. And Father, you know the people that, in here, in, that are in here this morning that truly need a touch from you, truly need a change of, of trajectory on their life. I pray that there would be a willingness to allow you to penetrate their hearts. I pray there would be a sensitivity to your spirit here this morning that would would invite you in and allow you to to just uh, bring a sense of comfort, bring a sense of clarity, bring a sense of conviction where that needs to happen, but a, a sense of encouragement. You, the the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I pray, would be welcomed into each and every heart here this morning. I pray that we would receive the message that you have for each and every one of us today. I know that's a unique message that you've crafted for each person in here. Please help us to respond to that. Please help us to have the courage to allow you to touch our lives, our souls. And may we leave here changed individuals. Father, I pray for hurting people in here this morning. I pray for people that are confused. I pray for people that are deceived. I pray that you would let the blinders fall. I pray that you would encourage. I pray that you would heal the hurting And I pray your presence would just overcome all these things so that we can stand here in awe of you. Where we're broken, I pray the Father that you would allow to, to be, you would allow, you would be allowed to heal us and make us new once again. May we respond to you, to your love. And it's in your name that we pray and we ask these things.